0: church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's In sermon. Your hands, you
1: hold the so don't mind me, I'm kind of running on fumes tonight. Uh, after a long uh, day of travel yesterday, day and a half of travel, And so, uh, amen, I'm praying for the strength to provide a clear and uh, helpful message to you tonight. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 as we continue in our series on the book of Revelation. And we're just going through uh, verse by verse and section by section to extract what we can from the Word of God. I was just discussing, um, as uh, we were there in, uh, in Lagos, uh, on Thursday morning, Pastor Bitwell uh, gathered together all of the pastors that had been sent out from their church, and they have about six churches that have been launched out, as well as a few other pastors who had come to attend. And uh, I was telling them about this series that we're doing right now, uh, because what we're doing here is, um, is what's called expository preaching. Expository preaching simply means that we are exposing the truth of God's word in a systematic and thorough way, and uh, there are definitely some good things to be uh, to be gained from this style of looking into the word of God, uh, because simply we are not looking to build or construct a particular message. Uh, I'm not looking to you know, find three exact points from from this section of Scripture. Uh, what we're simply trying to do is to read the Word of God and to understand it and to uh, apply it to our lives. And that's what we're going to do here tonight in Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. So far, we've been looking at this book of Revelation. We saw in the first chapter an introduction uh, to the author of this book, the Apostle John, and also to... Uh, we we learned that the book of Revelation is somehow an autobiography of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him writing about himself. And this is ultimately a good practice, right? If you want to know your Savior, the book of Revelation is a great place to turn so that we can learn about his character, learn about who he is, learn about how he thinks and what he values. And so tonight, uh, uh, the first thing. Uh, The first chapter is kind of an introduction. The second chapter, we begin reading some letters that Jesus wanted to write to the local churches of the day, the seven churches of Revelation. And so far, we've seen three of them. We've seen the church in Ephesus, which was perhaps the oldest church. And uh, we've got a a map up there of the different churches where these were written. And so as you can tell, uh, if the first church is Ephesus, the second church is Smyrna, uh, Pergamos we saw the last time we were together. And so today we're looking at the letter to the church of Thyatira. And this, is, this would have been known in the day as a familiar route. There was a road that would connect all of these seven churches because they were seven prominent cities of the day. We are reading these in the order that if you were a mail delivery boy, And you uh, had the route to go to each city. This is the same route that you would follow, beginning in Ephesus as you come in from the coast and going around uh, Asia Minor as we travel in almost a circle shape. And so uh, the the church in Ephesus was perhaps the oldest of all of these churches. Uh, They were busy for the Lord, but as we remember, they had forgotten something very important. They had forgotten their first love. We saw in Smyrna, The church there was a persecuted church. And we read about Christ's attention that he still had for them. In Pergamos, last time we saw, uh, it was a compromising church. A church that was set up in a city where Satan had his own throne there. Uh, The church had allowed Satan's presence to continue and called them to repent. Today we want to continue by looking at the church in Thyatira. And the title that is given to this church is not uh, something that is to be desired. In my Bible, it says right there above, verse 18, it is called the corrupt church. And I want to to ask you to read along with me tonight as we look at this fourth church in the book of Revelation, uh, beginning with verse 18. Join with me tonight. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, Write, these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, I know your love, your service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So here is a condemnation, uh, uh, sorry, a, a commendation. He's encouraging them. And now as the pattern has, we've seen it in other letters, now he begins to turn and give them some corrections. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her. Now remember who's speaking here. This is Jesus speaking, the same Jesus who, uh, who preached grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come. It's almost the same word in the Greek there, hold fast, as what we looked at this morning, to stand fast. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray tonight as we uh, as we look at the church of Thyatira. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Once again, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of revelation. I pray that you would bless this time of study together as we seek to understand your word and more about it tonight, how it applies to our lives here in 2019. God, let us be about the father's business tonight. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Jesus name. Amen. Let me begin tonight by giving you some history about the city of Thyatira and why the things that Jesus says to them are so interesting. First of all, we see that Thyatira is located about 40 miles to the east, southeast of the last city, Pergamos. And what's interesting about Thyatira is that they say that there was nothing very special about this city. There was nothing that set it apart to be unique among other cities. It was not on a harbor like Ephesus was or like Smyrna was. Uh, It was not located up on top of a hill like Pergamos was. But uh, Thyatira was in the middle of a valley. It was a city that was located on the route between two other cities. Hey, Hannah, I need you to be quiet on the front row up here. Kind of distracting everybody. So uh, Thyatira is in a valley, and it is on a road between two other cities. And so there was not really a place of prominence or strength. At the time, under uh, under Roman rule, they did have soldiers that were stationed there, but they were not necessarily stationed to protect the city. There was not much there to protect. The reason that, that, city, that the, the guards were there was simply to slow down, if there was an attack moving between Sardis and Pergamos, they were there to slow down any attackers. And so it was a, a, a city that was located far away from the sea and on this road. And so the reason why that this city has some prominence in its time was because it was a traveler's city. It was a place between places. It was a place that you would go if you're stopping overnight. It's kind of like when we drove to Arizona a couple years ago. Uh, last year? Was that last year? Yeah, we drove to Arizona and uh, we stopped in Oklahoma City on the way. Like, it's not because we wanted to see anything there, not necessarily because there was, you know, a large, uh, uh, awesome uh, place on the map to visit. It was simply a stopping ground uh, in between where we were coming from, and where we were going to. And because it was on this prominent trade route, Thyatira had some commercial living. And so there was was merchants, there was manufacturing, there was carpenters, there, there was like any city, there was tanners, weavers, tent makers, there was trades going on, and most of it was connected to the other cities that were around. Uh, when we look at the Bible, there's some interesting history there in the city of Thyatira. When, uh, you remember when Paul had the vision, that was given by God. Uh, the, the vision was to, uh, that there was a man from Macedonia calling to him, Paul, would you come over to Macedonia and help us? Anybody remember that? And so when Paul obeyed that vision and began to go into Macedonia, uh, into the continent of Europe, Uh, it was actually here in this city that he won his first convert. And the name of that first convert was a woman named Lydia. If you are familiar with the book of Acts, you will know that Lydia was instrumental in seeing people get saved and seeing the church there uh, begin to take off. Uh, Paul and his missionary associates became guests in Lydia's home right here in this same city of Thyatira. Uh, When Paul and Silas, later on, when they were released from one of their imprisonments, again they returned to the same city, the same home of Lydia, and became her guests again. Uh, Historians say that this woman, Lydia, was probably uh, a a local agent of, uh, of a manufacturer of dyed woolen goods. In those times... Um, the the color purple was a very important royal color. And it says about Lydia that she was involved in the manufacture of purple garments. Now, this was something that, uh, you know, today you go to Walmart and you can get a purple shirt for $4. But in that time, the color purple was very rare and very expensive to produce. It was only uh, able to be obtained from a certain root of a certain plant and happened to be around this city of Thyatira, this woman Lydia would have been involved in the manufacture and sale of those garments. And so uh, a couple other things to note before we we continue. And listen, this, this is important stuff to learn because it gives us understanding about what Jesus says. So hold on with me while we build this foundation tonight. Uh, A couple notable things about Thyatira, uh, according to the religious perspective, they have discovered that there was a local god there that had a temple named Apollo Tyrimnus. This god was on their local coinage, and uh, he was known as a warrior god and would be honored at social gatherings. So if there's a sports event, if there's a business meeting, if people are gathered together to discuss the local uh, government, they would honor this god uh, and they would uh, name him and they would put him on their coins. And it seems that he was somehow linked with Apollo, who is known as the Greek god of the sun, who was the son of the Greek god Zeus. And so there's a lot of stuff going on here. So, Uh, Tyrimnos uh, uh, was was linked with Apollo, who's linked with Zeus. And so uh, locally there was a a shrine and a temple to this particular god. Also, one more thing. There was in the city of Thyatira something something very interesting. There was a shrine that was set up specifically for fortune-telling and this fortune-telling happened through an oracle, a female oracle of the local god. And her name, uh, would, or the title of her, of her role would be a sambathe, which is a, another word for a prophetess. So in other words, with all that background information, it's interesting what Jesus says to this city. Listen to what he says. These are the words of the Son of God. This is verse 18. Who has eyes like the flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now remember, Jesus is speaking here and he is giving himself a title that is important for the people of Thyatira. He has identified himself differently to each church as we have seen. When Jesus spoke to the church, in Ephesus, let me turn the page back so I can show you what it says there. Come on, thin pages. There we go. To the church in Ephesus, these things who says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's his identification for that church. To the persecuted church in Smyrna, he says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. To the church in Pergamos, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. So in each way, in each church, he is identifying himself in a way that is designed to help them and to minister to them. What does this tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he will identify himself to you on an individual level, to according to your need. Here's what's cool about Jesus. If you're going through a hard time, he will come to you and say, hey, I am the one who can help you in hard times. If you are uh, having struggle with temptation, Jesus will come and reveal himself to you as one who can help you overcome temptation. And so in the same way, uh, Jesus, the way that he identifies himself to this church has to do exactly with what they're going through at this moment. Listen to what he said. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. So there's three main things about this description. First of all, he he calls himself here the Son of God. Now that's unique because normally when Jesus is speaking about himself, he uses a different title. He says... Son of Man. Normally, when he is identifying himself as he's preaching, especially in the Gospel accounts, he calls himself the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference going back to Ezekiel. This is about a prophecy. This is is Jesus claiming his messianic claim to the throne. He is identifying himself as the one that the Old Testament spoke of, the one who would come and save the people from their sins. But here, he doesn't say son of man. Here he says the son of God. This means, of course, that he is stressing not just his humanity, but his deity. By using this title, Jesus is setting himself against the other gods that the people would have been used to seeing in those places. Secondly, he says, I, uh, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. I just want you to try to picture that for a moment. The son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, like blazing fire. What does that speak to you about? What does it, uh, what does it, what would it mean for you to stare into the face of one who has eyes like a flaming fire? I'll tell you one thing those eyes will pierce through your soul. Have you ever known someone that you, when, you, when they look at you, it feels like they're staring right into your soul? For me, that person is Pastor Campbell. I can remember when I was new in the church and there was still a whole lot of mess happening in my life. And Pastor Campbell, he likes to stand uh, right by the front door as people are coming in for church on Sunday morning. And I'd come in the door and I'd see him standing there. He'd say, hello, Adam. And it felt like his dark blue eyes were piercing through my very soul. uh, Really, he's just there shaking hands and saying hello. But the problem was God was using uh, Pastor Campbell to uh, to make me feel like I need. I mean, I would go. I I would even feel so weird about it that I would go around the other side and go into the secondary entrance because I didn't want those eyes to stare at me. The problem was not Pastor Campbell. The problem was me feeling guilty. For my sins. Couldn't you imagine if if God can can do that through Pastor Campbell? What about the very son of God? What about the God, Jesus, who has eyes like a blazing fire? Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Don't do it. You're going to hurt yourself. That's the blazing, burning fire that can pierce through all of our lies, all of our facades. All of our disguises, all of the things that all of our pretending tonight, the the eyes of Christ that are blazing bright with fire can penetrate through the darkness of sin and expose our falsehood. Can I remind you of something tonight? There are no secrets with Jesus. You might be able to keep a secret from me, from your wife or from your husband. You might be able to keep a secret from your children or from your parents. But there are no secrets with Jesus. He has eyes that shine like a burning fire that cut through all the noise, cut through all of the excuses that you've made for yourself. Hello. When he's looking at the church in Thyatira, He says, yes, I know there's a lot of noise around you. There's a lot of stuff happening. But I have eyes like a burning fire that can see through. He knows it all. He knows the good things that you've done. He knows the extra money that you've helped other people with. He also knows when you've shorted the people. He knows the time that you've spent in prayer and the time you've spent on your bed. He knows the time that you, uh, that you spoke words of encouragement. He also knows the time you cussed out the driver that cut you off. He knows the harmful things that you've done and the helpful things that you've done. They say that character is how you behave when no one else is watching. The truth is tonight, someone is always watching the burning, blazing eyes of Jesus Christ that look out from heaven and can see through everything in our lives. Now, uh, the last thing that is mentioned in his self-title here, Son of God, eyes like a flame of fire, and then it says about his feet, something interesting. His feet are like fine brass. Everybody say fine brass. They are like fine or burnished bronze. What is, uh, what, wh- why is that important? What is Jesus trying to communicate when it says that his feet are like fine brass? Well, it tells us, is, is brass harder or softer than a normal foot? Harder, that's right. And so if you wanted to destroy something with your feet, would it be better to have normal human feet? Or feet like brass? If there was a snake in your grass slithering across your yard, would you rather have normal human feet or feet like fine brass? (laughs) That's right. You would rather have feet like fine... This is like Iron Man territory, right? What Jesus is saying is that my feet have the power to stomp out wickedness. See, both... Are needed. He has feet like burnished or fine brass, which can trample sin underfoot and severely punish things that are going wrong. And so Thyatira, as it's presented to us here in the scripture, is the most corrupt of the seven churches. So when Jesus is talking about his feet of fine brass, he is saying, listen, guys, you don't want to mess with me. Because I have the power to stomp out unrighteousness. I've said it many times, but you need to hear it. I need to hear it. You don't want to get in a fight with God. Because you're going to lose. He is undefeated. When I was there on the airplane, you know, man, you get so bored on an airplane. And they have that screen right in front of your face and all these movies. So I'm I'm trying not to watch movies. Because, you know, I'm just trying to to keep my mind straight. But the guy next to me, he's watching uh, some new Rocky movie that came out. That's Sylvester Stallone. You know, all those, all those boxing movies, they're all the same. It's the same plot, some big sweaty dude, he has to train, he loses, and then at the end, he wins. <laughs> it's the same thing. But I, I'm, I'm just catching a few glimpses here. But listen, man, you do not want to get into the boxing ring with Jesus. Because he has feet like fine brass, he is the undefeated champion of all time, and you will not win in a fight with the Lord. So one of the uh, one of the things that the city was known for of Thyatira, it's interesting. The city was known for producing brass armor. In fact, I, I was as I was researching this city, I found the coin that showed a. Uh, a, a local um, uh, brass smith that he was crafting this armor on a kind of like with a hammer and an anvil, and he was he was making a helmet that he was going to give to a, a Roman soldier. So the city was had some knowledge about making fine brass, had some understanding of what brass could do. If the right person had it, so Jesus presents himself to this city. As the one true Son of God, who comes with eyes like fire, discerning right and wrong, and comes with the ability to judge unrighteousness. That's what that description means. Son of God, eyes like a burning fire, and feet like fine brass. Now, with that introduction that Jesus gives for himself, he begins to... uh, to, to speak about the, the church there in Thyatira. So as he has done and as the pattern continues, he first commends them. Aren't you glad that Jesus starts with the good news? I've got good news and I've got bad news. Let's start with the good news. First of all, he says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are doing more than you did at first. So, first he says, I know your love. Again, this is the agape, the same word that it describes the love that Jesus has for the church, the self sacrificial love. It's obvious here that the church in Thyatira does have evidence of God moving in their midst. It's the, the love that is more than just human love, but can only be deposited by Christ himself and supported by the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of love that was missing from the church in Ephesus. They had lost their first love, but it was here, evident in the church of Thyatira. Secondly, he commends their faith. Faith is more than just the empty belief in God. Uh, Even the demons believe. But the faith that is described here is the faith that is more better described by faithfulness. He knows that these people have been there for a while. That it's not easy for them, so they are uh, exercising their faith to continue. They're growing in their faith. They're persevering. He mentions also their service. I know your works, your love, your service. St. Augustine said, what does love look like? It has hands to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and need. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. And so this is a church where service is happening, where they're being a blessing to their community, where they're helping other people. And then he says, I know your patience. Your patient endurance, as it says in one translation. The endurance comes from the faith that God is in control. You know, when you believe that God is in control, it will help you to get through difficult seasons. But what's really interesting about this here is what he says at the end. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. But then look at this. He says, as for your works, the last are more than the first. What does that mean? It means that as this church is serving the Lord, loving the Lord, expressing its faith and patience and endurance, it says, Now what you've done recently is better than what you did at the beginning. We can learn something from that. It means that we should not remain static in our faith with the Lord Jesus, in our service to Him. We should be growing as Christians, we should be advancing. We should be getting better. The works and the service that we're doing today ought to be better than what it was yesterday, the day before, and the decade before. What we should be doing for the Lord now, Jesus commends them. He says, look, I see what you're doing. I see that you've got love and service and faith and endurance. And indeed, the more recent things you've done for me are so much better than the things you used to do. See, if we are just remaining the same for Jesus, we don't bring glory to him. God has called us like any good child to grow in our faith. If you have a child that doesn't grow, something's wrong. You take him to the doctor. My child's not growing. What's the problem? Does he need more vitamin? Does he need more encouragement? What's going on? What would would you say about a a 16-year-old boy who's the same size as a 5-year-old? Something's wrong. Are you a hobbit? Right? There's something wrong with that picture. And yet, in church, we can look at someone who's been saved for five years, but they still look the same as a first-year convert. And we say, oh, you know, just be patient with them. But we shouldn't. We should expect people to grow in their faith. The recent works ought to be better than the first works. We should see growth in our faith. Christianity is never supposed to be stagnant. It's supposed to be vibrant and exciting. What about your faith tonight? Are you excited about living for the Lord? Are you excited about reading your Bible? Are you excited about coming to the next service and inviting someone to come with you? I am. I <laughs> am. I'm excited, you know why? Because, man, I just saw God do miracles. I don't know if anybody saw my uh, post that I put on there. Last time we were in Lagos, last year in October, with the, the, the three ladies that came with me, um, there was a, a, a little baby girl, not baby, she was maybe four years old when we were there. And, um, and the, the parents brought her to church during that time when I was preaching. And this little, this little four-year-old girl had never spoken a word in her whole life. So obviously the parents are concerned, not sure. Is there some kind of mental problem? Is there some kind of physical problem? You know, it's Lagos, Nigeria. They don't have access to medicine and technology like we have here. So they're just believing God, man. When you don't have doctors, when you don't have nurses, when you don't have hospitals, you got to believe Jesus. And so they bring this little four-year-old girl to the church, I'm preaching there one night, and they bring her up, and I can remember it while, I, while we were there, and we just simply prayed for her. It's nothing fancy. You know, I didn't command legions of demons. You know, I just prayed for her. What do I do? And uh, what was amazing was that this little girl, after that night, she began to speak for the very first time. That was last October when that happened. So now I'm there again last week, And uh, there's the family, there's the little girl, she's five years old now. And they bring her up to me, took a picture, it was a very special thing. They they were laughing, they were so happy. They said, thank you, Pastor, thank you for praying for her, because she's speaking so much now that we want her to be more quiet. (laughs) But see, that's what God does, isn't it amazing? I'm excited about that. That makes me excited to do something for God. That, you know, all, all we have to do is lay our hands and pray, pray for somebody, and God can do a miracle. That's not just for Pastor Dragoon. You can do that. You can pray for people to be healed. You can pray for the Lord to open blind eyes and deaf ears. Jesus said you'll see greater works than that. That's exciting to me. Can Jesus look at your Christian life and say, I see your constant improvement in all these things. And so here we have a church that Jesus commends with this verse 19. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience, your endurance. And in fact, you are doing more today than you were at the beginning. But then comes a word that begins to turn. His description of this church in Thyatira, it's Nevertheless. Nevertheless, we have to pay attention to some other things that are happening in this church of Thyatira. Now, one of the mistakes we make, I think, as believers and as Christians and people in general, is we look at people or we look at churches and we, we make a pronouncement. We say, oh, that's a good dude. Or, oh, no, don't stay. Don't, don't talk to that guy. Bad dude, right? We, we make those judgments of he's either a good guy or a bad guy. He's either a Republican or a Democrat. You know, he's either on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. And we make our judgments like that. Either he's a criminal or he's going to be helpful to me. And so uh, we have the same we make the same mistake when it comes to these churches in the book of Revelation. Is it a good church or is it a bad church? And the honest truth of that is you can't just say it's a good church or it's a bad church. In every good church, there are some bad things happening. And in every bad church, there are probably a few good things happening, too. That's true of individuals, too. You can't look at Abraham and say, man, Abraham, that was a great guy, father of our faith, yes, wonderful example, yes. But even in the life of Abraham, there was some, some bad stuff going on, right? Or you think about David, the David who conquered so many cities and Uh, won so many victories and uh, built the kingdom of Israel and did all manner of victories. And we say, David, man, great king of Israel. And indeed he was. At the same time, if you take his whole life, you can also see sometimes that he made epic failures. He sinned with Bathsheba. He murdered a man to cover it up, right? And so you can't just say, good dude. There is, a, there is, in every person and in every church, there are things to be commended and there are things to be corrected. I want you to realize that about yourself tonight. Because in our own lives, yes, we want to defend ourselves and say, man, you know, I, I'm better than I was yesterday. I hope you can say that tonight. It doesn't mean that you're finished yet. There are things to be commended and there are things that need correction. And we see that is also true here in Thyatira. Nevertheless, verse 20, I have a few things against you. I have a few things against you. So let's see what Jesus has to correct. Number one, we see that they were allowing the ministry in the church of a wicked person. You allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. It seems like, according to the description of Jesus, that there's one person causing a whole bunch of problems in the church. A woman. Now, I don't think that her real name was Jezebel. I think that that Jesus is using the name Jezebel to remind his, his, those who would read this letter of the wicked queen of King Ahab in the Old Testament. It's kind of like if, uh, you know, if there was someone stealing from the church, and I would stand up on Sunday morning and I would say, there's a Judas in the church. It doesn't mean that somebody is here named Judas. It means that uh, he is identifying them with their sin that there was a prophetess in their midst who was being allowed to teach and to preach in the church because here this name, Jezebel, is kind of a—it's a unique name in the book of Revelation. It's not a Greek name. It's not a Latin name. It's a Jewish name. And no Jewish family would ever have named their child Jezebel. And so Jesus is using this name as a title to describe the sin that she is committing in their midst. Uh, Jesus told the church that he knew there was a woman in their midst who was causing great problems. It doesn't mean that all women cause problems. Women are a great blessing to every church. <laughs> but when this particular woman began to rise up and teach some things that were causing great problems, Jesus had to call it out. Apparently this woman uh, was teaching in their church and she had become a very dominant and prominent leader. They, we, can, we, can, uh, we can be reminded just for a moment that Jezebel of the Old Testament was, a, was an incredibly wicked person. That she led the people of Israel to worship in Baal and Ashtoreth and fertility deities and she was responsible for bringing in the worship of pagan gods. She was responsible for bringing in temple prostitutes, both male and female, associated with the Baal worship. See, Jezebel didn't really have a problem with the temple of the living God, the true God. The problem was that she didn't think that Jehovah God should be the only God. She said, let's bring in a few other gods. We can party together. We can have a good time together with all these other gods. How many know tonight that God doesn't share his throne with anybody. God is an exclusive God. The Old Testament tells us that he is a jealous God. That he will demand exclusivity in our lives. And so when Jesus begins to identify this false teacher as a Jezebel, he is saying that this person, whatever they were teaching and preaching, the effect was the same. It was causing the church of Thyatira to have divided loyalties. And let me tell you what it was divided to. As I mentioned at the beginning, this city was a large trading center. And as such, it would have a number of large organizations that would be something like modern-day labor unions. Have you ever had to be part of a labor union? You know, they take your dues and out of your paycheck uh... hopefully you haven't uh... in virginia they they don't have many labor unions but in other places this is a big deal to be part of a labor union it means that they can organize for you and negotiate for you various things like that so there there was something like that in the city of thyatira it was a strong union town and so what happens is if you're part of one of these labor unions there are some benefits to that it means economic stability it means that if you lose your job one day, this union is going to help you find a job at another place. It's going to help train you if you have, need to get more skills, or so. And so the, the, but the problem with these labor unions at the time was that not only were they involved in, uh, in helping people with their jobs, but it was also connected to some of the pagan worship. So in other words, every time they would gather together for a labor union meeting, it would involve the worship of these other gods that I told you about in the city. Hey, everybody, let's come and take a collection for the false god. Let's uh, let's have a little party here uh, that's going to start and end with some temple prostitutes. And so think of what that would mean for some of the people in the church here, Thyatira. What it would mean essentially is this. If you wanted to have work, if you wanted to be able to put food on your table, you would probably have to associate with one of these labor unions. But to associate with one of those unions, it means you'd probably have to compromise your Christian faith. Oh, it's a good thing we don't have to deal with that anymore in 2019. The members of the church were torn between making a living on one hand and worshiping false gods, on the other hand. See, we face similar problems in our Christianity today, don't we? See, if they would have spoken out against the practices, it means that they would risk a paycheck or even persecution. So in order to involve themselves in the economics of the day, they would have to compromise their basic Moral and ethical standards. This is a difficult decision to navigate, and we still have to make it today. Have you ever had to, uh, been in the place where you had to make a decision whether to work on Sunday or whether to worship the Lord in church? That's a difficult decision to make sometimes, especially when they're paying double time. Maybe, have you ever come to a decision, uh, you know, if I could just fiddle with a few numbers on my tax return, it would give me an extra $1,000. Oh, who's going to watch anyway? How about Jesus with his blazing eyes of fire? See, the, 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 the decision that these church people in Thyatira was very similar. They had to make a choice. And so... Where Jezebel, this woman teacher, fits into uh, into this is that she would stand up in their midst on a Sunday morning and she would begin to make prophecies saying things like, It's okay. The Lord has spoken to me. It's okay for us to compromise our values so that we can make a buck. That's what was happening in Thyatira. This false teacher was standing up and she was saying that the Lord had spoken to her to encourage God's people to be compromised. You know, I've seen teachers on TV and radio who have said, the Lord spoke to me to buy a new Gulfstream jet so I can preach the gospel. So I need you to send in your $100 love offering and pledge $1,000 within the next six months so I can buy a $55 million jet. That's a Jezebel. The Lord did not speak that to you, brother. It might have been a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. What was happening in Thyatira still happens in the church today. There are false teachers and false leaders who stand up and say thus says the Lord and then begin to speak blasphemy, leading people to sin. That's why Jesus confronts this. That's why Jesus calls this a corrupt church and he says this is why he needs feet like fine brass. We cannot treat this with kid gloves. This has to be judged strictly. So this Jezebel was standing up and calling on the Christians in Thyatira to be unholy in their character and impure in their activity. It's all right. It's okay. Just, you know, just go along with what they're telling you because at the end of the day, guess what you're going to give a paycheck. You're going to get a paycheck and out of that, you can give me a portion since I'm a prophetess. Her philosophy was business belongs at the workplace. And Christianity belongs at the church. And don't mix them up. There are politicians today who want to destroy Christians living in the public space. Have you seen the persecution of Chick-fil-A recently? They want to keep them out of airports. In, uh, in, in places where, uh, where there are mostly Democratic uh, politicians who say, we don't, we don't want those haters in our city. There's no place for them in our city. Jack Phillips, the one who uh, uh, was sued multiple times. Guess what? He's being sued again, the third time. In Colorado, he's the bakery guy. who They wanted him to make a cake for a homosexual wedding. He says, you can have any of my pre-made cakes. I'm not going to specially craft a cake for a homosexual. They took him all the way to the Supreme Court. And guess what? They're suing him again for the third time. They're saying, listen... We we don't don't want you in the public space. You're fine. If you want to worship God in your church or in your home, that's fine. Just don't take it to your cake shop. See, that's the compromise we're going to be faced with in these last days. Yeah, on Sunday, church, go go to your church and, yes, lift your hands, do whatever you want to do in your church. Oh, but keep it there. Monday morning, it's time for business. That's where you got to compromise. That's where you got to shut up about being a Christian. And stop that evangelism stuff. Jeez, leave it. We're in a modern world now. This is what the prophetess was teaching in the church. This mentality embraces the world. There are some churches that approve wholeheartedly of allowing homosexuals to be in their church unrepentant. Listen, we invite everyone. We welcome everyone as you are. But listen, Jesus loves you enough that he doesn't want you to stay the same. God can forgive any kind of sin, any kind of immorality. But if you are unrepentant, if you are not changing, if you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll not remain in this church. There are many who do not discipline their members, many churches, many pastors who ignore when people are living together unmarried. Oh, but they're tithing, just leave them alone. This is what the prophetess Jezebel would be teaching and preaching. But I want you to notice, it's not Jezebel that Jesus condemns in this letter. Who is it that he is condemning? He is condemning the church... For allowing her to continue. He says, You allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to I. He says, the problem is not necessarily just her, it's with you. It's the leadership, it's the members of the church who just say, Oh, yeah, just let her teach. You tolerate her. You allow her. It was allowing this false teacher to influence them and be led by them. Thyatira was probably a small church like we are. A thriving church, indeed. They were were doing some good things, filled with love and faithfulness. But they had become rotten in the core like an apple with a worm in the middle looked good and shiny on the outside, as soon as you take a bite, there's filth under the surface because they were allowing false doctrine to lead them to wickedness. This false doctrine led them to do wicked things. Did you see what it said? Leading my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. These are the two very things that uh, that they had Uh, That they had um, not allowed for Gentile believers. When you read the the book of Acts. But here's this prophetess saying, oh, don't worry about all that. It's okay. God understands. The Lord has spoken to me. I have a new revelation. You better be careful if you ever hear a preacher say that. I have something new that you've never heard before. Can I remind you? I am not going to come to this pulpit and tell you something new I've never heard before. I'm going to tell you the old things that we need to hear, not any new things. The new things are usually the, the harmful things. She had convinced them that she knew God's will. And how can you argue with someone like I heard a story about a church that needed to buy some new carpet. And so there was two ladies uh, who went to the carpet store, and they brought back patterns Uh, to recommend to the church board, and they were going to make a decision which pattern to use. And so uh, there was one lady who seemed to be more charismatic than the other lady, and looking at the two uh, choices of the carpet, she uh, she introduced it like this. She said, this is the carpet that the Lord instructed me to choose. How do you argue with that? (laughs) The Lord instructed you to choose the carpet for the church? And so when the time came to vote for the carpet, guess what? Which one they voted for? It was the one. Who's going to argue with you if you say God spoke to you? Can I tell you tonight, this is why the sin of blasphemy, one of the commandments was "You um, you shall not bear false witness. This is not just about telling lies. This is about saying the Lord spoke to me when the Lord didn't really speak to you. consequences were grave. Here's this prophet is standing up to say, the Lord spoke to me that all of this activity it's just fine. Ah, no big deal. And by teaching these things, she's leading the church into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And so we're going to close tonight. This Jezebel at Thyatira was leading Christians into sinful practice, and she was claiming to have special revelation and knowledge from God. But, at the end of the day, it was not from God. I just want you to notice a couple things as we close. Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Aren't you glad? I find hope in that verse. That God even gave this wicked Jezebel time to repent. He he could have, and he would have been right to
0: stomp
1: her out on the first try. But he didn't. He said, I gave her time to repent. Can I tell you, God still gives us time to repent. Even of the worst filth, even of the worst kinds of sins, there's hope there. But the problem was she did not repent. Like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart, Against the Lord. She did not repent. And as a result, verse 22, Jesus begins to tell what's going to happen to her. I will cast her into a sickbed. Many scholars believe that that is connected to to the sexual immorality, that she probably picked up some kind of disease, which put her into a sickbed. And all those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. He says, not only the teacher, but those who are being taught are going to be in the great tribulation. And then Jesus says here, verse 22, unless they repent, there's still hope for them. Unless they repent of their deeds. Continuing, he says, I will kill her children with death. The result of the judgment and the discipline within the church is that wickedness will die. But look at, the, look at the greater result. The churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. The result is that a church is purified. Can I tell you that Jesus would rather have a small and pure church than to have a large and immoral church? Jesus would rather have a small, healthy church than a large, unhealthy church. He would rather have 12 disciples who follow him through everything than to have 20,000 eating fish sandwiches and who turn on him the next day. And I ask, which one are you tonight? Which one are we? He says, I will strike their children dead. Not only will there be a judgment on their current actions, but on their future activities as well. Let's look at the rewards then as we close. Now to you, I say, and to the rest, verse 24, to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, I will put on you no other burden But he simply says, verse 25, hold fast what you have. If you want to know what that means, go listen to the sermon from this morning. Stand fast. Be strong. Have courage. And when we do, here's the results, verse 26. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He also says, I will make them, uh, he says also, where was it, Uh, verse 28, I will give him the morning star. What's the morning star? The morning star is uh, a way of describing the planet Venus, which is the brightest star in the sky and is often the precursor to the new day. If you look in Revelation 22, verse 16, the morning star is connected with Christ himself. It's the star that appears just before the dawn when the night is darkest. And so the church, if we will endure false teaching and we will remain pure and we will continue to do what's right, Jesus says, I will make you like the morning star. That when it seems darkest, when the culture seems the most wicked, you will be the one shining bright. And you'll be the one leading the way for the coming of a new day when Christ returns. I love that tonight. Christ says, when we will live for Him, when we will hold fast, that we will have the morning star. So what about us tonight? We've learned here in this letter that We should be Christians, not just in church on Sunday, but in every day of our lives. That his truth should guide our choices and our decisions that we make in a wicked culture. We cannot allow ourselves to follow the teaching of Jezebels that may pop up in the church from time to time. Instead, we ought to be the morning star, the one that shows up just before the dawn when it seems dark, when it seems like it can't get any worse, the church is supposed to be the star that shines brightest as we proclaim the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. My call to you tonight, my encouragement, is to shine like the morning star. And whatever you do, let your, let your light not be hidden under a basket. Let's be the salt and the light in this generation as Christ encouraged the church in Thyatira to be also. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes as we bring the service to an end. And I thank you for your patience as we, as we learn so many things about this church in Thyatira. And for just a moment tonight, I want to take the opportunity to invite you to know this Jesus, the one who wrote this whole letter. Every word, every letter, that I read tonight was written in red ink. Which means it comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Which means tonight it carries even more weight and power. It means that he wants to speak to you tonight. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ he has provided salvation for all the world. He has provided his blood And his body so that every man could be saved. Every man could be forgiven. But not every man is forgiven tonight because not all will repent. We saw in our scripture that Jesus gave time to that Jezebel to repent. He gave her time. He gave her opportunity. But she would not repent. And I wonder tonight if there's someone here like that. Jesus is giving you time. He is showing His grace and mercy. He has warned you. He has led you. He has spoken to you. And He says now is your time to turn. Turn away from wickedness and turn to forgiveness. Don't let that time pass. Don't let your heart be hardened tonight. He is here to forgive. He is here to set free. And he is here to wash and cleanse all impurities. And if that's you here tonight, I want to pray with you. Would, you. would you be so brave to lift up your hand? Say, I need that tonight. Thank you for this hand. Is there someone else? Quickly tonight, you respond and say, please pray for me, Pastor. There are things that the fiery eyes of Jesus can see in my life. Maybe nobody else can see them. Maybe you have uh, hidden and covered so well and no one else knows about that wickedness, but Jesus does. His eyes, like a flame of fire, can pierce through the darkness and all of our coverings and all of our excuses. And tonight, maybe he's seen into your heart. And you need his forgiveness before you leave this place. Can I pray with you tonight? Would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Anyone else? with this one honest heart tonight, backslidden, you don't know God, you're not living for Him, your heart is cold tonight. Would you respond to this call? Amen. And since you lifted up your hand, would you come forward? We're going to pray with you here at this altar. God's going to do a work, a miracle in your life. And tonight as we contemplate all of these things that we've heard, that we've read, there are so many good lessons in this letter to Thyatira. Have any of them applied to you? Say, no, no, Pastor, you know, I'm already a professional Christian. I don't need to hear any of that. If you would have a sensitive heart tonight, if you would have an open ear to what the Spirit says, my prayer and my conviction is that there's something here for all of us in these words. Whether it is to hear the false teachings and be led astray, Whether it is the call to advance and to grow in your Christian faith. Whether it is the warning tonight to repent before judgment comes. Or whether it is the call to hold fast till the end and not waver in your faith. There's so many good things. I pray the Lord has spoken to you about something in this message to the church of Thyatira. And if he has, I want to ask you to come forward as we pray in this place we're going to sing a song of worship but would you stand with me tonight as we come to this altar and cry out to the Lord
0: we thank you again for listening do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox make sure to sign up at our website vvph.org if this message has been a blessing to you would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.